Well, it's always a blessing, always a blessing. We're going to, uh, I want Dottie, if you'll stand, this is the mother of 5,000 children. So you go to the back. And we have a PowerPoint for you again, as we always do. I do want to tell you that uh, the last two years have been the most stressful two years of my life. We've we've begun the transition uh, as I have 30-something children that are each taking one of my responsibilities. So it's going to take a, it's going to really take a village. It's going to take a team to replace all that God has had us do over the years. And so it's, it's going to be quite a feat. In these last two years, we've just struggled through a number of things. We've lost five children to death. Uh, one was murdered. One was killed in a car accident. One was died because the doctors at the hospital said nothing was wrong with her. And then two of the children on dialysis passed away. So it's been a very difficult two years for us. We've had some other struggles. And just like all over the world, the finances have not been very well. But God is always in control. And like you've been saying, I'm, I'm a child of the King. Glory to God. I'm a child of God. So we're going to share some things with you, Dottie, if you'll go to the first picture, I think. If you look at this little boy here, his name is Josue. And in 1989, Josue was our first child. He came to us. Uh, his mother passed away, giving birth to him. His father asked if I would take care of him for 18 months. And here it is 28 years later, and we still have that little boy. But I want to show you another picture here. This is him uh, recently, a little over a month ago, and that's a restaurant. And when that boy proposes, that boy proposes. You look how they, they put flowers out there. They had that big heart made with flowers. The waiters did that for him, and it was all set up. And then the next picture, that's him on his knees in the restaurant proposing to Vanessa to be his wife. And here he is. Josue, come see. And this uh, this young man will be taking my place. He has already taken over a number of our responsibilities. He is head of telemedicine, not only for Guatemala, but for Honduras and El Salvador. He's, uh, he's taking my place. He's already taken over all of the responsibilities with the college and university students and a number of other areas. He's learning the financial system so that when I turn 75 next year, I'll just be able to hand him the whole thing and say, you know, here it is, son, run. And uh, we, we know that he can do the job. I'm going to give you a chance to ask him one question. Anybody have one question for us, way? Ask him if he's scared. <laughs> All right. But that was our child of promise 28 years ago, the very first child that we got. And little did we know that he would be the one that would be taking the helm, taking the helm of Casa and bringing it into the, the next generation of young people. And so it's a humongous responsibility. Uh, our budget for the first time is approaching $2 million a year. So, uh, you know, it, it's been a, quite a ride and God has been so faithful for so many years. Okay, Dottie, let's look at what we have. If you've never been with us, this is our first Christmas picture. And here's what's happened over the years. 
When I think of the faith we had at that time, believing God for 20 children, trusting that God would give us 20 children to raise, but God had much, much larger plans than we did. It takes a while to show the pictures now. And that's this past year's Christmas picture. We haven't taken this year's picture yet. Go on, Donnie. But since 1989, God has given us 5,512 children. I think we got 189 new children this past year. Uh, so the Lord just keeps giving us these children. And they don't all stay a long time because sometimes they find family members or they find someone that can take care of them. But they all have an opportunity to hear the Word of God. They all have an opportunity to give their lives to Jesus. And that's the most important thing. Okay? That's Oswe again. Go on. Some of you remember a boy by the name of Minor. When Minor was brought to us, he couldn't walk and he couldn't talk. He was almost two years old. He was diagnosed as severely mentally retarded. And that's him right there. We adopted him. He's now in his third year at the university, and he is an A-B student in the, in the university. And... Uh, And since we adopted him, we go by his given name, which is Orlando. Uh, we called him Minor for many years, but his na real name is Orlando. And you can see Susie is pretty serious about their relationship. A lot more than he is. You can see that look of terror <laughs> upon his face. Go on. These are our, some of our Dallas's children. This is an older picture. And the reason I wanted you to see this again is you will remember that there were two boys. In fact, they're not even up there, so that is a newer picture. Uh, but we had two boys that I shared with you last time that were approaching 18 years of age. And they had both, both told me last year, at this time, right before we came home, that they wanted to uh, leave Casa when they were 18 years old. They were tired of dialysis. If they were going to die, they wanted to leave and go on and die, uh, but they wanted to die on their own terms. And sadly, when they turned 18 years of age, they did leave, and one of them did pass away. Lewis passed away. Go on. Yeah, uh, they're not in this one either. Go on. This was Hennesis, our very first child and uh, in dialysis, and she's the one that had a kidney transplant, you can see how small she is, but she's uh, 19 years old now, and she's um, she wants to be a nephrologist when she goes off to college. She's a very good student, and we believe that she'll be able to do the job. But she is the reason that we have everything. This is Kaiser, and Kaiser just recently, we're so blessed, had a kidney transplant. His mother, under a court order, by the way, she did not want to give a kidney, but the judge gave her a choice. You either go to prison or you donate a kidney to your son. So she chose to donate a kidney. And uh, he is doing well. This is Kaiser, the day he came home. He has to be in isolation uh, for three months. Go on. This is Marjorie. And Marjorie, this was just a few days before her passing. Uh, at that time, we had to give her a trachonometry, a trach in order to be able to breathe. And uh, she died two days later. But this is Marjorie, and and uh, it's, it was a real sad situation with her, too. Her mother got a court order, got an injunction to 
get her out of Casa, and the doctors told her that if she took her home, she would die. And the mother said, that wasn't true. We were lying. And she went home, and she passed away within a matter of weeks. Go on. This is her again. This was my last picture with her. Go on. And this is Eduardo. He's our newest child on dialysis. Go on. This is Cindy Dost. And Cindy, I, I, you can see the teeth. You can't see much else, but you can see all the teeth. And the reason this picture is so important to me is this child did not smile for two years. We could not do anything to get her to smile. And then one day she was standing out by my car and I walked out there and I said, Cindy, what are you doing? And she just kind of shook her head and, you know, wasn't responding to me. And I said, you want some chicken? And she said, <laughs> and so she hadn't stopped smiling. She knows if she smiles, she gets chicken. Going. That's our dialysis unit. Gives you an idea of what God is doing. You can see how large it is. Three floors. Uh, the top floor is boys. The middle floor is girls. The bottom floor will be for emergency and for uh, long-term care, for any other uh, situation. A child gets the mumps or gets something else and has to be isolated. They'll be on the bottom floor. The cooking facilities, the pharmacy, and all of that will be on the bottom floor also. And you can see the village. Well, there's another picture of it from uh, the other water tank. This is across our property, and I'm looking at a second water tank in the and the building, and you can see the village St. James or San Diego on the other across the valley there. We're believing for a miracle. Here's what it looks like on the inside. Uh, the girls, of course, are pink, and then the boys will be blue. Uh, there's some folks there now. This is Wendy on her peritoneal. Gone. This is Cindy, the girl with the smile. There she is with the chicken face. This is used belly. Used belly is in the hospital right now. Uh, your protein level in your urine is supposed to be zero to twenty at the at the height. And uh, they called me three days ago, and her urine, her protein level was five thousand four four hundred. So she's in critical condition today, as as I'm preaching here. They've been contacting me daily, and uh, Aroldo called me last night, and so we're we're keeping watch on her. She came to us very, very ill. She's only been with us a few months, and you can see she's all wrapped up in a blanket. You can see the cord uh, on the ground, and she's on dialysis as she's watching television right there. We're able to give them these long cords, and they're able to do dialysis and be able to move around the room, so it's not as restricting as you would think, because dialysis is 12 hours the children that are on dialysis in our home, it's from 10 to 12 hours, seven days a week. So we do it at night so that they can sleep with that long card, but they can also play cards or they can study or they can, you know, play board games or watch television, etc. Go on. Uh, and this is uh, Carlos, go on. This is Jose. Usbel is the one that's so sick. I wanted to, I want you to look at that foot. And uh, you can see she was born like that. Uh, it's it's just a direct 90-degree angle there. And now I want you to look at her foot and what God has done. And this is being done at Shreveport, at the Children's Hospital in Shreveport, Shriners. And they have just done a tremendous job on her, on her leg. She also had a double esophagus, a cleft palate, a cleft lip. 
Uh, she has eye problems. You know, she had nasal problems, and they're doing all of those surgeries. You know, and of course, Shriners does all that for us for free. And uh, it's just amazing how much love and compassion that organization has for children and what they've been doing for her. So she is up there and will be up there. So we thought she would be here six months. It's already past that, and she'll probably be here another year as she continues to get everything repaired and everything fixed up. She doesn't want to come back to Guatemala. Go on. This is a mechanical cow. If you don't know what that is, that machine there is called a mechanical cow. And uh, the girl working the mechanical cow is Marilyn. And she is a college student studying um, mechanical engineering. And it really doesn't take a, a mechanical engineer in order to work that machine. But what we do is we make our own soy milk. So she is making soybean milk. And uh, it's called a mechanical cow. And that's a gift from Rotary Club. Uh, and a Rotary Club in Africa gave us that machine. And so we're making our milk on a, uh, we make it twice a week and it, it's enough milk for a week. Uh, the kids did not like it, of course, at first. Uh, but now we make it and we put chocolate in it or we put vanilla or we put strawberry. So they, they've gotten pretty used to it. Go on. And there's the soy milk, the soybeans being turned into milk. Go on. This is one of our grandchildren there, Estella's little boy, little girl. Go on, it's her birthday. This is Kenneth, and Kenneth is one of our children that came to us that uh, was abandoned. He was just thrown away, thrown away at the gate. He's an extremely intelligent young man. He's old enough to leave Casa, but he has asked that he be able to allowed to stay and go to college and be able to uh, pursue his goals, pursue his his uh, desires in life. He was dropped off at our gate many, many years ago, was raised there at Casa, abandoned, totally abandoned, and he is one of our best leaders. He's one of the boys that is in the uh, college university, the university dormitorial, and he takes care of the other boy, helps with the other boys, helps Oscar to take care of the dorm. But we have some young men like this that are just godly young men that are going to be great leaders. We just believe that God's going to use them. We're excited about what the Lord is doing in Guatemala. And we're extremely excited about this dialysis situation because uh, there are just so many children that have a need. And this need can be met. You know, we, we believe that uh, the most important thing for these children to have is hope. But apart from that hope, they need to know Jesus Christ. And so we bring these children in. It's, it's expensive to bring them in. It's, it's, you know, a real burden on us in order to take care of children that are dying. It's hard emotionally for all of us to bury children. It's very difficult uh, to see a child's body waste away. It's not like an old person's body. But to see a child waste away is a very difficult thing. And so God has to give our staff a special grace has to give, you know, give our young people a special type of love in order to be able to minister to these children. And so this is the, the thing that happens. Our older children, and if you come down to Casa, one of the things you notice is how the older children help the younger children, how they take care of the younger children. And it's like having a second pair. It's like I'm a grandfather and I have a whole bunch of children that are taking care of my grandchildren. 
because that's the attitude that our older children have. In fact, I'll turn 75 next year, and when I turn 75, that's when I want to give everything over to Josue, and when I give it all to Josue, then I'm going to really change my name, if that's possible. I'll go from being Poppy and Dottie being Mommy to where we'll be grandmother and grandfather, abuelo and abuela, and we will then uh, permit Josue and all of our 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 young people that are in those transition positions to become those that will be more than an accountant or more than a social worker or more than a psychologist. They're going to be parents to the children. This is one of the things that Josue understands. It's one of the things that um, I think most of our staff understands, our young people understand, is that God wants them to be parents And more than anything, if you're going to have an operation like this, if you're going to take care of this many children, then you're going to have to be able to do it in such a way that you are a parent to that child. Not, not just a, you know, a a guard, guardian or not just a social worker, but you're someone that gets involved in their lives. You care about their feelings. You care about their dreams. You care about their hopes. Go on. These are some of the young boys and we, we have a new project going on, and this is a picture of one of them. Uh, what we're doing is we always need sponsors that take care of children, individual children, but I have not brought pictures of children home in two years because what we're trying to do is get people to sponsor dormitories. If you can sponsor a, a house, and here's a house of teenage girls, about 40 teenage, 35 or so teenage girls, And what that allows the dorm parent to do is be able to uh, have birthday parties or be able to do something special for the kids, etc. One of the things that we're transitioning with is that we have young people that have been raised in our home that have gotten married. You know, they married someone from Casa and now they are parents themselves and they have come back to Casa and they are... Uh, wanting to be house parents. So they come back and they're house parents. And we have a number of couples. We have Alex and Sarah and Olga and Billy and uh, Mariella and Mario and uh, Fernando and Flor. We have four couples that I can think of right now that are house parents. And Guatemalans do not have a support system. They don't have a means by whereby they can raise money like the American house parents can raise money. And so we need to help them to be able to raise money just to do simple little things. So for 50 bucks a month, you know, you can take care of birthday parties for all the children in a particular month. Uh, we just buy a cake and some ice cream and something like that. And if there's something left over, we might take them to a movie or do something along those lines. But it's a new project for us because uh, we want all of the children to be touched. When you have a a system where it's just the individual child, oftentimes the cute kids get picked and the kids that are not so cute don't get picked. And so what you do is you have some kids have three sponsors and other kids don't have any sponsors because people look at them on the outside and the kids that are maybe not so cute need just as much help and love and support and prayer and your help and your understanding and, and etc. So here's some of the boys in uh, Vincedores. This is Onisi. This is the one with the foot uh, situation. And that's her with her visa. When she got her visa in the, 
the United States, when I took her to the window to get her visa, uh, the Guatemalan consulate in Guatemala, the U.S. consulate in Guatemala, only gives three visas a day, believe it or not. And they have about 700 applicants every day. And they'll only give like three to five visas a day. So when I walked in there with her early in the morning, I was one of the first ones there, uh, which makes your odds of being chosen even less. When I walked in with her, you know, and I asked for a visa for her, they first were, yeah, they weren't very interested. And so I picked her up and I hung, put her up in the window and showed them that foot that was totally 90 degree angle like that. And the lady said, no problem. And she stamped it and, and gave her her visa. So that's her picture with her passport and her visa. And uh, believe it or not, she actually goes to uh, elementary school where I went to elementary school in Bunky, Louisiana <laughs> at St. Anthony's Catholic Church and Catholic school there in Bunky, Louisiana, believe it or not. And uh, she wanted to be the queen of the school and they didn't have enough votes so what they did was they got another category, international queen. <laughs> so they crowned her and they walked her out. And when she got out, then they had the real contest. She still thinks she's the queen of the school. <laughs> but uh, Onisi is doing a great, just a great uh, recovery. And we're, we're very excited. Her whole life, as you can imagine, is going to be totally different. She couldn't eat very well because of the esophagus. And of course, she couldn't walk very well and, and et cetera. So her whole life is going to change dramatically. And these are just families. I wanted you to see some of the typical families that we get. Rosa and Samuel and Juan Jose and Ruth. And, and these are all children that were abandoned. Uh, Barbara and Walter, Catherine and Jonathan, they're, they're abandoned. And uh, I want to tell you a little story about this girl here. I didn't know the girl could speak. She was at our house for about six years, and I never heard her say anything. She was the quietest, meekest little girl that you've ever seen. She just went through school, never gave me a problem. You know, if I'd speak to her, she'd speak back, but that was about it. And so when we started the transition period, and we wanted to do the transition, we decided that we needed to get a new accountant. We needed somebody that could do the accounting and as I looked through all of the paperwork to see which of our students had studied accounting, either in high school or in college, had studied accounting, and we felt like could do the job, she was one of the nine children that have studied accounting. And as I went through and we tested each of the students, she kept scoring higher than any of the others. So this girl that you're looking at up there, is in charge of a $1.77 million enterprise. She operates the budget of CASA. She is the accountant for CASA, and her name is Dorcas. She comes from an Indian village. In fact, she comes from the same village that Josue comes from, right? Comes from the same village that Josue comes from, a place called Poaquil. And uh, she can smile. I don't know why she didn't want to, but she can smile. But see, God has given us such wonderful young people. And that's the key to the transition, is they are children that they do not just understand. See, I can tell you stories about children being abused, but they've lived it. And they not only have lived it, they know what God has done. 
They can tell you what Jesus has done in their lives. Dorcas can give you her testimony as to how God brought her out of that village in order to be part of Casa, in order to get an education and go into the world to work and yet turn all of that around and put her into ministry at Casa. And she's working full-time, getting a salary, a regular accountant's salary, getting a salary and working full-time and being an accountant for all of those children. And brother, that is one very, very important, critical job for us. We have 118 employees and she has to do social security. She has to do everything for all of those employees and keep all of that straight. Go on. Allison, Catherine, and Domarius, and that's the wildest group of the groups gone. This is a young man that um, strange would be not exactly the word to use with Michael, but Michael, uh, he's, he's got family, but his father just hates him. And Michael has really struggled with rejection all of his life. And, and uh, he's actually old enough to leave, uh, but he doesn't want to leave. I'm not really sure. Uh, only Josue can answer the question if he, we think he can get through college. But he is in college. And we, we're giving him an opportunity. We're giving him that, that chance. But one of the things that happened is Michael got interested in the music. And so he picked up the keyboard. And he started fooling around with the keyboard and he joined our choir, our, our musical, one of our musical groups. And now he is the leader of one of our praise teams. We have four praise teams and each group of teenagers has a Sunday each month that they do the praise and worship for church. And Michael has his own group and he is an excellent, um, keyboard player and, and leads the music and everything. You know, God has a place for everybody. You know, if you feel that you're a, a, a round peg in a square hole, let me tell you, God has a place for you. He has that round hole for you somewhere. You just have to be patient and you just have to be willing. People ask me, you know, a number of things about Dottie and I. You know, they love to say, boy, y'all had great faith going to Guatemala and doing all that. I was scared to death when I went to Guatemala. But the truth of the matter is, there's one word that Dottie and I learned from the beginning, and we learned it because of people like Francis Martin and Albert Willis and people like that, and that's the word obedience. If you are obedient, God will bless you. Your faith may be very, very low, and there are times, I'm telling you, even recently with my health, you know, with our finances, with the things that have happened, my faith has been very, very low. But what I've tried to do is keep my obedience very, very high. I've tried to keep on obeying when my, my spirit man, when my fleshly man is fighting with my spirit man and saying, it's not working out. You're not going to get out of these doldrums. You're not going to get out of this situation. I've got to just keep on plotting. I have to keep on keeping on. I had the back surgery. It did not take. It did not work. I'm in pain every day. The medication they gave me just made me drunk, so I don't take any medication for my back pain, which makes the back pain, of course, pretty bad. But at the same time, I can function, and that's what I want to do is be able to function. I just have to rest more, have to sit more, and, and, and et cetera. But one of the things that I found out and Michael found out is that if you obey God, he will make a way in the wilderness. He will make a way through your darkness 
And sometimes you're struggling maybe with a family matter, maybe with your children or maybe with your spouse, or you're struggling with your finances or you're struggling with your health and your, and your faith just seems to be so weak. Well, do what you know you're supposed to do. Just be obedient. Do what you know, you know, you can't do it all. Dottie tells me that all the time. She says, Mike, you can't do it all. You've got to let go. You have to let go. My board, we had a board meeting this week, and that's one of the things they tell me all the time. You've got to let go. And when I tell them how much I have let go of, they're, they're amazed because they thought I would never let go of some of those things that I've let go of and have let the other children take those positions away from me. But I have let go because I've learned that God has called me to a season. How many of you believe in seasons? There's a season for all of us. And I've had a long run. You know, it's 28 years we've been in Guatemala. And I'm not at the end of the run, I don't think, but I'm surely in the last lap. And I, But I'm going to run until I cross the finish line. Our prayer every night is that we will finish strong. Dottie and I will finish strong. We're going to run this race to the end. And it doesn't mean I'll have to be carrying the whole torch. All right? But it means that I, if I'm faithful to do what God has called me to do, if I'm obedient to do what God has called me to do, then God will bless that. My faith can be down here somewhere. But if my obedience is up here, God will rise to my level of obedience. God will meet me at my obedience level. Go on. One of the things that we started this year that has really been a blessing is every Thursday night we have a picnic and the families sit by families. And that way the older boys and the older girls can be with their younger brothers and younger sisters. And even the baby dorm babies, the little babies, uh, can be with their families. And so they have a picnic. We fix a picnic-type meal, and they sit in circles. We, we draw these circles depending on the size of the family. And they sit inside that circle, and nobody else can interfere in that circle. And that's their family time. That's their circle of, of love. That's their circle of family. And they spend that time together. So they're, they're seated out there and uh, having dinner together. Go on. Go on. I want you to look at her on the left when she came to us and then look at her on the right. You see, that's what Jesus can do. See, that's what God can do. You know, man can't do those kind of things. Only God can do those kind of things. God, God allows the spirit, uh, you know, if you'll get out of the way and let God do it, then God will do whatever God wants to do. But you have to get out of the way. You have to trust God. You have to believe God. You can imagine what her self-image was when she came to our home on the left. You can imagine how bad she felt about herself and how unlovely she probably felt about herself. I never talked to her about it. But look at what God did physically with her. And of course, that changed everything about her outlook on life and her dreams and aspirations. Go on. Look at Jennifer. Isn't she precious? Go on. These are three kids that were abandoned and, and the two older boys, uh, they have uh, been assistant dorm parents. They have helped Lee and Candy in the dorm with the little boys. Uh, they, they just have such a heart to help. And this is, and these are younger boys, but they're growing up now. And this is what happens. We want our young people, you know, our, our 14, 15, 16 year olds to fall in love with the younger boys and girls. We want them to have a heart 
to, to minister, a heart to give. You see, you cannot operate a home with 500 children unless you have a, a, many, many hands on. You have to have a lot of laps. You have to have a lot of hugs and kisses. And these older kids can do that. They can be my hands and they can be my, my laps and they can, they can be my kisses. They can be that intermediary uh, gone. Two years ago, we had a horrible car accident and the sister, Annie, who is 19 years old, was killed in that car accident. Uh, that was the beginning of this depression I went through where we lost five children in a matter of months. We lost three in two weeks. And then we lost two in three months, you know, after that. So it was pretty difficult on, on me. I, I emotionally was wiped out. But these were her bro- these are her brothers. And they are on the right, the two brothers. The one in the blue, dark, with the long sleeve blue shirt, he stutters very, very badly. And we, uh, but he wants to, he wanted, he wanted to be a dorm parent. He wanted to help little kids. He wanted to be a dorm parent with little kids. The older brother, you see him with a guitar. He is on the, the uh, music team. He is also part of the praise and worship team. But when their sister got killed, they went home and they said they weren't going to come back. They didn't want to be at Casa anymore. They wanted to go home and be with their mother. And their mother lives in absolute poverty. I mean, absolute poverty. And she cried and she cried and she begged them to come back. She said, you, you just have to go back. You have to get an education. You have to be able to have a better life than the life that I've had. You have to go back. So after about two weeks or so, they came back to the campus and we had not reported them gone. We didn't want to until they made a final decision. And so they're back at the house and now he's on the music team, but the one in the stripe with the guitar is also a straight A student, just an excellent, excellent student and will do very, very well in college. Go on. This was a, a We Love Poppy and Mommy Day, the... Those are the baby dorm kids, and they came and brought Daddy and I that thing. It says, we heart Poppy and Mommy, and they brought, you see our hats they put on our heads, uh, Easter hats, I think it was last year. And But that's all the baby dorm kids. They were dressed as princesses and Spider-Man and all that kind of stuff. And um, we have a wonderful time with our children. The girl, Catherine, on the right, is uh, she's capable of going to college, but you know what she wants to be? She wants to be a niñera. She wants to be a, a person that just works with babies. And so she's studying that full time. We have five children that are studying to be niñeras. And that, that means they'll work full time, get a full time salary to work with babies in the baby dorm. And if you don't think that's a calling, you know, if you don't, we've got 60 something babies in that baby dorm. So if you talk about a calling, that is truly a calling of God. Go on. Jorge, what time do you want me to wrap it up? Okay. Go on. This is Josue and Sonia. Josue and Sonia were with us when they came for a number of years. And when they got to our house, they, they had escaped uh, extreme beatings. He had been beaten unmercifully. She had been sexually abused for years by her father. And so they came to our home. 
They were in our home for about five or six years. And then when she turned 13, I think it was, they the courts came and the geniuses in the courts decided they could go home and defend themselves. So they sent them home. So one day we're we're at the... They call me and I go to the gate and when I get to the gate, they're standing at the gate and they had all of their their clothes and everything and some plastic bags and they had run away from home because the father had been sexually molesting her again and, and et cetera. And the courts are still trying to get her to go home and they even tell her when she comes to court, why don't you love your parents? That kind of stuff, try to make her a guilt trip and, and et cetera. And the reason I tell you that is because it's so important for you to know how to pray for us. You know, it's so important. That's why I tell you these stories. I don't tell you these stories for any other reason other than for you to understand how to pray, how to seek God on our behalf, because we need your prayers more than anything. We need people that are praying for these children on a regular basis. And the courts make some terrible, terrible decisions. And they send these children back to abusive homes they send these children back to homes that are just ungodly homes and that they will not get an education the reason another reason they ran away from home these two is because they're this boy is very very smart he even looks smart not all of them do but he even looks pretty intelligent and uh but he's a very smart kid and his daddy wanted him selling stuff on the streets so he wouldn't even send him to school he, he had him working on the streets, selling stuff on the streets for, you know, just pennies. And so he's wasting his life, just throwing away his life. And the courts think that's a better deal than living in a home for children. You know, a home for children is not natural, but a home of abuse is natural, according to them, in their way of thinking. But now, you know how to pray for me. You know how to pray for our children. And then, here's what I've got pictures of today. Okay, and I'll go on and finish with that. But here's here's the pictures, and we have even a couple of extras up here at different dorms. But this is to allow you to be able to sponsor a dorm and help us with that dorm and help the Guatemalan young people to be able to provide things in that in that dorm for them. I do have a few minutes, um, according to Pastor Todd. So if you have a question, I'll be glad to answer any questions that you have. You can see where we're going. You can see where we believe God is taking us into the next generation. The one thing that I do not want is for that ministry to die because I do. I want that ministry to continue and I want Josue and them to bring it to the next generation. Uh, you know, that's what we want to perpetuate it. We want it to get better and better as the years go by and, uh, and et cetera. But if you do have a question, yes. My day, my days normally start about 3.30. Okay, they, they end, they end kind of early, about nine. But, you know, but, uh, but I go to, I go to bed at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, uh, we have an open door policy. Our, our Dottie and I, our door is always open. You know, when you have that many children that have been abused, you have children that have nightmares. That's our biggest problem with older girls is they have horrible nightmares. They have night dreams, and uh, they need to be hugged. They need to just be able to sit next to somebody. 
um, because they have these terrible dreams during the night. They scream out. They have, you know, cold sweats and things of that nature. Abusive children struggle. Yeah. Yeah. We've had, uh, we have had children. We try to screen the children as best as possible. Uh, they were trying to get me some insurance this week and, uh, and they couldn't do it. And they said the reason they couldn't do it was because Guatemala was too dangerous. But at the same time, they had just written a policy for a missionary in Mexico. And they said that Guatemala was more dangerous than Mexico. And you know how dangerous Mexico is right now with the cartels and, and everything. Well, the gangs in Guatemala are now rivaling the gangs in El Salvador. So, you know, we have a heavy, heavily uh, invested area of gang violence and, and things of that, of, of that nature. So, uh, what was your question? <laughs> And what we've done is we've had kids that have come to us from gangs. And some of them were very young. We didn't realize that they were part of a gang. So when they start to invest in the, in the other children, you know, they infect the other children, then we have to move them to another home. Uh, we've had that happen. We had the courts recently send us uh, two lesbians. And um, so we, and they started to affect our girls. They started to you know, try to teach that stuff to our girls. Our girls came to us, told us about it. So we had the courts put them in separate homes, uh, et cetera. Uh, so we do from time to time, but not very often. They call me the gringo that does not say no. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, we have uh, full custody on probably 50% of them right now. You know, where they'll they'll always be with us until they're 18 years old, and uh, or if they're 17, they can decide to leave on their own. If they're 17, uh, but as long as they study or work, and they keep the rules, we'll keep them just like you would your own children. The reason for the kidney disease is is unknown for the most part, but. One of the things about the Mayan Indian is that the Mayans, they take a child off the breast and then they give the child coffee uh, and sugar or they give them water and sugar. They don't give them pure water. So children go from the breast to sugar water. In other words, they never have pure water that cleans out their kidneys. So they think that's a part of it. They also think that for some reason there is an amoeba uh, that is in the ground in the villages, in the dirt. And the Guatemalan village children sleep on the dirt. So they feel like there's probably something in the dirt that can go through the pores and go to the kidney. We went through a, a circumstance in Guatemala a number of years ago where we had 51 appendix uh, surgeries in one year, 51. And what we found out was there was an amoeba that was in the ground in a certain villages that uh, when the children would sleep on the ground, the amoeba would get into the pores and go directly to the appendix and cause appendicitis. So once we covered our ground, 
with concrete, then it was okay. No tears today, huh? Just victory.